When my guest was nine years old, he set a goal for himself to play in the NFL, and he accomplished that. He hung up a sign in his room that read, let no one outwork you today. Isaiah Kazavinsky is one of the most dynamic individuals I've ever met, and I'm proud to be a friend of his. At the time, he was selected as Harvard University's highest ever pick in the NFL draft, going in the fourth round of the Seattle Seahawks. And prior to that, he was Harvard's Male Athlete of the Year. Since then, Isaiah has collected his Harvard Business School MBA. He's co-founded and is the managing director of the Sport Innovation Lab, alongside Student Up podcast guest Angela Ruggiero. He was formerly the head of business development at MC10 Inc., which I sit on the sports advisory board for. He's an investor and advisor in almost a dozen companies, from fast food to healthcare to social media, and just recently helped launch the NFLPA incubator program One Team Collective, alongside previous Suiting Up podcast guest, NFL executive director, DeMarie Smith. Isaiah grew up in poverty. He struggled to find his identity, especially with a volatile parental upbringing. During moments of his upbringing, he was homeless, literally self-made. He's both a fascinating and inspiring story, and we're going to start there. Welcome to Suiting Up Podcast, where I interview athletes, media executives, team owners, and other key stakeholders about the duality of the modern professional athlete, from their startup investing appetite, other strategic investments, new co's, social media influencing, creative marketing, and digital strategy. Today's athlete, whether active or retired, is continuously redefining what it means to be a professional on and off the field. Hashtag fear the beard. The biggest thing to happen to Barbasol since shaving cream is also the only thing to happen to Barbasol since shaving cream. Introducing new Barbasol razors. The brand America trusts for a close, comfortable shave now has premium disposable razors. Barbasol's close shave technology on every razor means you get an advanced pivoting head and ultra-thin open flow blades. The Ultra 6 Plus razor also features a seventh blade, specifically designed to refine and style tricky areas like under the nose, sideburns, and yes, of course, my beard. Visit Barbasol.com and get a $2 savings coupon and see for yourself why Barbasol razors are the number one new disposable razor out there. That's right, Barbasol.com for your $2 savings coupon. You're looking good, America. You're shaving with Barbasol. When us men go out to shop, especially for new trends, we run into some common problems. In store, we either have trouble locating the men's department, finding out what we want, and if we do, it's often not in our size. When we order online, we may think we know what's hip, and there's a hint it's probably not. But when we think we find it and we order it, often it arrives and doesn't fit. Bombfell is an easier way for men to get better clothes. You can complete a simple questionnaire and are then matched one-to-one with a dedicated personal stylist. When you sign up, you pay $0. That's right, you only pay for the clothes you keep, period. Bombfell is the only styling service that does not charge any fees to work with them. Here's how the process works. You go online and you sign up. You set up your order, and you choose between items you want delivered, the style and fit. I chose tight pants, fitted button-down t-shirts, my personal style at the moment, Then you get a preview email of what's to come, and shortly thereafter, your package will arrive. Everything is fully personalized. Each piece has been handpicked for you by your own stylist. That stylist will then email you her or his selections, after which you'll have 48 hours to make any changes or even cancel it altogether. You're in total control. 
Personally, I went through the process, got exactly what I was looking for, and was very pleased with the quality of fabrics and the selection from my stylist. So here's what I was able to pull off for you suiting up listeners. Since, and this is in parentheses, I think fashion is part of what I do, I was able to negotiate with Bombfell to get a $25 offer for all of you listeners. That's the best offer of any show across podcasts, and I'm proud of that. It's $25 off your first purchase. Here's how you do it. Go to bombfell.com forward slash Rabel. That's B-O-M-B-F-E-L-L dot com slash Rabel. Bombfell.com slash Rabel. It's Bombfell. Open and close. Isaiah, my man. Join my brother. Me. Yeah. We've known each other for three years, four years, five years. Uh, yeah. As long as, as long as MC10, it's, it's, as long as he's been it, running that show. Yeah, it's five. Actually, I think it's five and a half years. Similar, similar uh, five, five and a half. So what I didn't know about you, because we've never sat down and gone – Super deep, mm-hmm. um, and I did so researching yeah, yeah. and preparing for this conversation. So I want to start by just like hearing your story. I know you told it a lot when you guys were in the Super Bowl with Seattle, mm-hmm. uh, but being brought up and living on your own, um, your parents divorcing at an early age, mm-hmm. you know, kind of having to fend for yourself, mm-hmm. and how that's built you into the person that you are today. It's it's defying all odds. Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell me about that? Yeah, I, uh, you know, going back to you know the beginning, um, you know, grew up the youngest of five kids in uh, in upstate New York, a small town, Endicott, New York. That's coincidentally produced five professional athletes in, in a town of eight thousand people. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, um, over over the last fifteen years, it's kind of nuts. Um, but you know, very blue collar town. My both my parents um, were orphans and uh, found each other, and um, huh. both you know very little education, uh, very little you know educa- you know focus on education in their upbringing, and coincidentally in my upbringing. Yeah, and um, pretty early on uh, realized that um, the situation that we we're in was was not normal, and I remember. So my earliest thoughts were were just saying, "Hey, there's no way I was going to live like this." Uh, always kind of uh, hungry, always uh, uh, not understanding. My my father was alcoholic, very abusive, and just not understanding the situation. Uh, what was what? Um, long long story short, you know, growing up in poverty, growing up like that, and someone of a broken home uh, really taught me at an early age to want more. To to I didn't know what it was, but I knew I wasn't going to live like that. And, yeah. Uh, because of that. Uh, being at homeless at times during my childhood with my family, but um, being homeless at times and, uh, you know, really, really having to figure out a lot of life's early lessons um, by myself uh, until I found sports. And sports was a huge, huge uh, teacher for me, knowing my family. I was, like I said, I was the youngest of five kids. No one had ever played a sport ever. Yeah. And sports ended up being. Uh, the great teacher in my life, the men and women around the game. Uh, you know, I played football, uh, wrestling, and track, and the, the men and people around those sports became my mentors and people I looked up to and uh, was was able to be lucky enough to uh, have the, a realization pretty early on in my life. How early? Uh, 
I remember, like, like I said, some of those earliest memories, you know, being seven, six, seven years old, saying, I'm not living like this. Mm-hmm. D- didn't understand, but I, I knew huh. at my core uh, it was like that. But then having a, a true understanding uh, where I could change my life when I was 14, it was, it was, it was a day that changed my life. Uh, and I can remember it was like it was yesterday. It was a turning point in my life where uh, I remember that the, the, I, I, was, I, was I was a decent student and I was a decent athlete. And I remember I had set a goal. I wanted to make the varsity football team as a ninth grader, and I didn't. And I was really, really upset by by that. And um, I remember getting getting home, and um, you know, it was, it was a couple weeks later, uh, getting home, and being very upset, and not being able to go to bed. And uh, I remember time was ticking by. It was ten o'clock and eleven o'clock, getting past midnight. It was a school night, and not being able to get to bed. I remember at 2 o'clock in the morning hit, and it, it dawned on me. Everything became so ridiculously clear in my life, which was I can change my life tomorrow. I can, I can literally define how I want to live my life and uh, never look back again. And that, that to me, uh, meant working as hard as I possibly could every single day. And I literally got up that morning. I made a sign, let no one outwork you today. I held that sign. I put that sign up on my bed. And I never looked back. I took that uh, with me to school, to sports, to how I treated my friends, my family, uh, everyone around me, and um, tried to squeeze the most out of every single day. I didn't want to look back and have any regret. That's what it came down to, where if I was being real with myself in the mirror, I didn't do everything I could have to make that team. And that was the realization that night that I never wanted to look back and say, I should have done more. Yeah. Would you say that action speaks louder than words? Absolutely. I mean, I think it's, it's cliche, but, yeah, but yeah. sometimes you have to say what you're going to do before you do it. Yeah. But it, you're, you're a do first guy mm-hmm. to your fullest potential. Yeah. I, I think, um, what the question you asked is actually a really, really astute one, which a lot of people speak to things that they, uh, they want to do. I'm going to work really hard. I'm going to try my hardest. I'm going to do this X, Y, Z. But are you really going to do everything it takes? Are you really going to back that up, live it every single day? And therein was probably one of the biggest lessons I learned in my life. You, you can't just talk. You have to back it up yeah. with action. And Gandhi um, says it, action expresses priority. Yeah, and there you go. It's, yeah. it, that's, a, that's, that's a great, great way to think about it. I never actually never heard that line, surprisingly. Yeah. Uh, but I couldn't agree more. And... Um, it's not easy. It's it's a very lonely path in a lot of ways, especially the the path in which, which you chose. The ability to push your body to a point where um, it feels like you can't go anymore. There's very few people that can do that, and the quicker you realize it, is is the better. You meaning myself was was the better, uh, and a clear way to see opportunity. Like if I can push myself this hard, there's. There's probably not a lot of people that are willing to do this. Yeah. The harder you push, the harder you want to push. And the harder you push, you know, it, it continues to build into itself. Did you set the same goal going to Harvard as an undergrad to play in the NFL as, as you did when you were younger and making the, the varsity team your freshman year? Absolutely. You I knew. So why Harvard then? Because it's a non-traditional way to make it to the NFL, as you know. No, I mean, there's, there's a long story behind all this. I don't know if, I don't know if this podcast has enough time, time to cover it. But yeah, well, no, if you, you can you, condense you, it. No, you, you nailed it. I, I think you know, I absolutely made the goal. My goal to play in the NFL was when I was nine years old, when I fell in love with the game. I stumbled upon it when I was nine. 
in, in the school area ended up being. But you, you know, still have the foresight to play other sports. Th- there's there's absolutely no doubt. But I started out football purely. Okay. And that was my first love. And you know, it turns out I was pretty good at hitting people yeah. <laughs> and, and running with the yeah. ball. <laughs> I wasn't highly recruited coming out of high school. Yeah. I was I was a free safety. Uh, I was a free safety that really a lot of people saw as a tweener, which is I, I was never going to be fast enough to be. A which means for player. our non-football listeners, yeah, which means I would have. Uh, I w- like a tweener mean, is is what a, a tweener is. Uh, <laughs> someone that would have I would have never been. Uh, the people saw as someone that I would have never been as fast enough to play defensive back yep. in college, and I never was going to get big enough to be a linebacker. So the other, the other, yeah, the other example would be like a, a, a slot receiver versus a tight end. Exactly. Yeah, and, and, and essentially it's like being stuck in between, which is the potential to say if I was on that side of the ball, I would have never been fast enough to be a receiver, yeah. and I would have never been big enough to be a, a, a tight, tight end. end. But, you know, I was, I was at like 200, 205 pounds, so I was like, all right, this guy's not a speed burner, but we, we're not sure how big he's going to get. Yeah. Turns out I was able to get pretty big, yeah. <laughs> pretty big, yeah, and uh, play in the NFL and have a successful career, yeah. And, and I, so I wasn't highly recruited. Uh, Syracuse had offered me. I verbally committed to UConn, uh, and uh, Harvard came a calling, and really had to make up my mind uh, around you know putting my faith in the process of the, if I'm good enough to play, the NFL is going to find me. Yeah, and I put that on me. I didn't put that on anyone else uh, other than the faith in the system, and the system ended up working. <laughs> yeah, tell us about you know how do you condense all of the hard work that you put into on a regular basis? How do, how do you actually how do you parse that out in your in your daily calendar? I mean, I could probably see you doing multiple sessions a day in the weight room, and then running and flipping tires and like doing that nonstop. Yeah. As 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 the young Isaiah, and then as the Harvard Isaiah and pro Isaiah, how how did it change? Because you're still outworking everyone, but are you being more thoughtful? Yeah, so I think there was there was a couple of that's an awesome question because because there was a couple of learning experiences a, a, along the way, um, where you know from my jump from the uh, from high school to college, uh, one of my things that I knew I was limited in. Um, was yeah I didn't I was I wasn't eating a well balanced meal and I thought kind of outworking everyone without having the building blocks yeah uh, to be able to to do that to to actually train you know just not having the wherewithal at home not having yeah. the actual resources to have a well balanced meal that was I was shooting myself in the foot so like all this hard work was was not going for for nothing but I wasn't maximizing yeah. all the benefits that's right. So I learned that very quickly. I learned I, I gained my my freshman year at Harvard. First time I had three squares a day. Being yeah. able to understand my body absolutely uh, reacted very positively to that. I gained forty pounds. Wow! Uh, not a fat. Yeah, my my freshman year. Yeah. So I went from two hundred five to two forty five. You're just eating year. well, lifting, and sleeping well. Yeah, everything. In a way, that's what that makes sense. Why you're so involved in data analytics. You know, on, on the business side of what you've done with your professional career thus far, with MC10, now helping a, 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 a vast uh, group of companies through the Sports Innovations Lab. Yeah. Is that why data is so important to you? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, my goal, my backup plan if I didn't play in the NFL was to be a doctor. So I've always huh. had this deep relationship and um, thirst for knowledge around physiology and medicine. And uh, there is no doubt about that. And I always took that similar approach um, around the way I thought about my body, that big learning experience that I just talked to you about then was like 
the aha moment for me. I was like, man, I can actually start to really, really put myself in the best position. Yeah. So really became dedicated to maximizing and quantifying. You know, you and I have talked about quantifying a lot of this on, on pen and paper. Um, and, and still continuing to struggle with one of the biggest things was like, how can I cap how hard I work the, to try to get the most gains? And yeah. the concept of doing less to create more more gains and more is a very, very difficult concept, yeah. <laughs> especially for athletes to, to pound yeah. home. Uh, and it took me some time and I never fully got that. It was just like, just because there's this recipe that got you to being a really good player. You know, this, yeah. which is like, I'm willing to work so hard and yeah. just keep pounding, keep pounding, keep pounding. But to let up on that gas is, it feels so unnatural because that's a recipe that got you there. But the fact is, I had a very amazingly uh, insightful trainer, Mike Boyle, as I was preparing for the NFL draft that started to show me in a lot of different ways where less was more. Uh, yep. He cut down. I was doing you know, a, a ridiculous amount of, of working out, sometimes you know, two, three workouts a day. Yeah. And he said, you know, you know, I had three months to prepare for the combine. He's like, you're going to have to trust me. You're yep. doing too much. Yep. What we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to limit you on what you do, and you have to promise me you're going to be able to do this, and you have to trust me. And I saw gains across the board. 40-yard dash, I got faster. My That's bench so press, I did less preparation what I would call preparation, but less volume yep. on, you know, the repetition of bench press. It went up from 26 reps benching 225 yep. pounds to 34 reps benching 225 pounds. Because you your body recover. I was letting my body recover. So I, I look at this a lot. It's really interesting to me. So I think that I don't, I don't know when on the pendulum do, 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 do young athletes need to start changing their work ethic but i do think when you're younger you your mentality was right outwork the competition and that's when you like grow exponentially and develop skill mm -hmm. develop size mm -hmm. and then when you reach a level of maturity it becomes equally important if not more to outsmart your competition and that is like recovery nutrition all that type of stuff but you can't i don't think you can focus on recovery as much as we do now at least as professionals I mean, you certainly can, but I don't think it's beneficial to to, to do that as, as as a young kid who's developing or acquiring skill for the first time. It just seems like you need to be a pro at least. You need to go through the trenches of developing that skill. Let's use basketball example. Those guys are so talented at an earlier age. So you have to push that. And then once you acquire that skill and you're in that 1%, mm -hmm. then it becomes about how you deploy on a regular basis to maintain it. Yeah. Do you think that's right, or, or like how have how have you thought about it? Because it sounds like you experienced that right around the combine. Started being more thoughtful. Because my feedback to you would be, um, you were no longer the hardest worker in the room, but you were. You, it depends how you define it. You were yeah. certainly smarter. Yeah. Um, so when did that change? Or are you still like, hey, outworking is a broad enough topic for me to where, hey, if I'm not working, I'm doing so smartly, and therefore I still am. So I, it's, it, this is a very, uh, it's heady. Diff, yeah. It's a very difficult question. I think, um, I think there's a, a couple of different ways, uh, that I've approached it, but it's also the a sensitivity level, which, which is you get to a point where you have to be really in tune and understand your body Yeah. Uh, around when enough is, is enough to truly try to see these gains. And it's a, it's a feedback loop really that you have to create and be conscious of to be able to do that. But you know, it, it's, it's just, it's so, it's so tough to, to back off uh, with a, with a formula, so you know, works, but 
but actually there's ways to tweak that formula and make it work even better. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's just, it's, it's almost, it's very, very counterintuitive to, to think about that. Um, I will say this, there's, there's the physical and the mental. And, uh, I think as I, you know, definitely progressed and got older and wiser and was never wise enough until I retired, um, around pushing mentally, uh, uh, where I, I, I believe you, you, it, it's so hard to, uh, completely exhaust mentally, uh, the, the, the sky is pretty much the limit on being able to do that. But so to train mentally, um, across the board and not so much physically, physically having a cap of, you know, muscle fibers need to yep. heal and get better and, um, training smarter. So not, not harder, but smarter is, is, is a tougher thing, but being able to completely push the envelope with the mind is, yeah. is one of the, the great uh, mysteries of humankind uh, that is yet to uh, uh, be understood and, and yet to be tapped around why that is the case. But, you know, kind of the limits that you can put on the human mind are um, or should not be there. And I think being able to pick the spots, you know, physically, mentally around how hard I can push uh, over time. And I know that was kind of like a really deep philosophical answer. No, I love I think that. I've divided the way in which I, I do that because, um, you know, this idea of just keep pounding, like for my internal voice, keep pounding, yeah. keep pounding, keep pounding. Yeah. And knowing when to back off physically uh, now, it's a little easier after going through 11 surgeries on yeah. my body. But the, the mind never stops. Continue to keep pounding and keep pounding uh, around that and uh, giving, giving breaks every once in a while. But the mind is just so unbelievably powerful where you can never, ever absolutely reach your full potential. Yeah, it sounds like that was a big takeaway of your professional career playing in the NFL. What, what were some of the other things that you walk away from your experience there and say, wow, this has really helped position me well as I take on the boardroom and become a professional founder, operator, investor? Um, yeah, I, I've, I've spent a lot of time thinking about this, you know, after retiring from, from football and going through a, a phase where, you know, 95% of the players across the globe that are elite athletes rarely get to leave on their own terms, right? It's, yeah. you know, I, I wanted to still play. I had career-ending surgery and tried to come back, and I couldn't. And uh, something that I've always loved to do was was gone, and I had to, to understand and be pretty introspective and yeah. reflect on myself and very humbled uh, by, you know, how can I actually – transfer what I've, what I've done over the, you know, since I was been nine years old. Exactly. Um, but that, you know, really, really understanding also that that wasn't the only thing to define me, but using those skills I had developed, this per- perseverance, teamwork, all these different attributes, seeing how they, they could transfer over. There was no better way, you know, decided not to go to medical school after, after I was done with, you know, eight years of playing. So going to business school was a great way and a great transition for me to, uh, really understand how those skills transferred in a setting where, you know, the the ideology here at Harvard Business School is really this interactive class setting where there's the case study method and you have to literally go through two-hour conversations at a time yeah. uh, with specific problems. And you start to understand in that setting um, all of the different type of value that you're able to create as well as uh, some of the the – uh, the abilities because you were not trained classically as an investment banker for myself, right. not, not an investment banker and not a, 
a consultant, you know, at, you know, McKinsey, et cetera, uh, being able to have a fresh point of view and not being afraid to, to speak my mind. I yeah. was one of the other pieces. So the ability to look at things in a new way, uh, speak your mind, uh, really not be intimidated by the situation or let, not let, yeah. letting the situation overcome. Uh, all those things transfer in a big way. And the ability to make everyone feel part of a team, I think this is a much deeper conversation. I can go on and on about it. But one of the big things of running a business, and you know this as well, uh, is making everybody feel like they're a part of the team. And not not just saying, but like there's people creating value and recognizing them for it. And That's I think exactly right. a, lot of people, a lot of people don't do that. And if you don't incentivize, you don't align people like that, it's going to be tough to have people that are going to be ridiculously talented and, and want to run through walls. This feels like a good time to take a quick break from our chat with Isaiah to talk about Skillshare. Are you a professional looking to get a leg up at work? Or maybe you're someone who loves learning new things, which by the way, both are not mutually exclusive of each other. And if you're like me, you don't have your MBA from HBS like Isaiah does. (laughs) But you can still learn the tricks of the trade in business management by taking classes online. I've been a Skillshare member for three years Skillshare is an online learning community with over 16,000 classes from business to design to many, many more. Starting a company from scratch can be just as challenging as it is fulfilling. It requires a vast skill set. Understanding the fundamentals of legal to corporate structuring to management, sales especially, marketing, compliance, that list goes on. Open an account and you'll get unlimited access to stuff like this for a low monthly price. Never pay per class again. And Skillshare is giving my listeners a month of unlimited access absolutely free. That's unlimited access to these instructional videos online for free. Go to Skillshare.com slash Rabel to redeem your free month. That's Skillshare.com slash R-A-B-I-L. Now, back to suiting up with Isaiah Kazavinsky. Do you think that largely empathy and emotional intelligence is missing in pro sports and there's too much masculinity and and masking via aggression and having thin skin and taking your insecurities out on the field which is frankly ironic being some of the toughest guys on the planet do that but it sounds like that's what you're describing right yeah i mean you're you're, you're running a company easy questions no you're you're absolutely correct i mean I, i think uh over the last 20 years, the the old school mentality of, you know, just you know, overly aggressive all the time, um, if you don't show that, there's a sense of weakness in, yep. in how you uh, conduct yourself, not only from a coach, but as a player. You can lose that's, your spot. That's, yeah, it's changed. But So we're starting to see that that's definitely changed. Look at, there's a couple of really, really good examples over the last 20 years. You know, I know football really, really well, but, you know, you think about a Dick Vermeil to yep. a Pete Carroll type of uh, coaching structure where it was like the Chuck Knoll style, hardcore Bill Parcells, yep. <laughs> hardcore. Yeah. Um, you know, those mentalities weren't, uh, weren't ever around and the ability to motivate by fear versus, uh, incentivizing and alignment and togetherness mm-hmm. is a very powerful thing, but you need space to let that grow. And, uh, that had been, that had been pushed out of, all elite sports for a long period of time. So I think you, you cut on something that um, really, really cuts to uh, where I see great value to be captured in, in a completely new environment as we look over the next 20 years of sports and yeah. a new game and, 
a very, very thoughtful game. And I think you start to see um, levels of uh, performance and just art at its highest level because yeah. of that. Yeah. I think if I'm a, if I were ever a coach, I would I would do so to coach young men of empathy and integrity to be responsible for yourself and the team. Yes, and, and I think that's what you mentioned um, w- with how you are operating right now and how you're running your businesses and how you're investing in companies, which you've made investments in over a dozen. Mm-hmm. Um, you were the you you led business development for MC10. Yep. We want to dive a little bit into that, and now you just more recently co-funded Sports Innovations Lab. Um, Talk about what are important characteristics. Like, what makes Isaiah's investment thesis? Mm, you do not ask easy questions. No, no. no. I, I think one of my, <laughs> my biggest things is I, I, yeah, I, I, I was trained as you know as a pre med undergrad here at Harvard, and um, you know, my, like I said, my backup plan was to be a doctor. So I wasn't cl- trained in economics. Never had any money going, growing up. Um, for me to get, get to the NFL and you know being a fourth round draft pick by the Seahawks and getting my first signing bonus check was like holy crap! I have no clue. Uh, I've never been trained right trained with, with how to uh, deploy these money monies at, yeah. at all. And it scared me. It scared me in a pretty major way. And uh, what I did first thing I did I hired a financial advisor, and I peppered the crap out of him. Uh, I, I learned everything I could about the public and private markets. Hired another oh, wow. financial advisor. Did the same thing. And I really started. So you fired the first one and hired a new one. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So I wanted okay. to learn more, learn more. Yeah. I wasn't getting pushed uh, for farther enough. And uh, it was an amazing experience for me and made my, my first investment in 2003 um, in a, uh, in probably what you'll crack up. It's, it's what they tell professional athletes never to invest in, which is a restaurant A and then yep. a friend B. Yeah. <laughs> and, so and so the restaurant be good. Yeah. It would be and be good, which is yeah. one of my classmates, a Harvard, uh, Harvard undergrad, I played football with him. Anthony Ackle found it be good. And I literally had to beg him. I was like, all right, I want it. Long story short, for that process, having a bag him, getting in, and he, he was so worried about taking friends or family's money, et cetera, um, I knew inherently uh, there was an emotional intelligence around. I want to bet on the person. I know Anthony Ackle. I understand how ridiculously talented he is. I know how... Um, I know how dogged and how he wants to persevere, and he's going to run through eight walls to yep. make this happen. In the end, that thesis really has not changed. I've become a little smarter around the actual foundational expertise around looking at financial models and da da da. You, you go across the board, the segments. Yeah. In the end, Founder I fit. get, I absolutely get to know the person behind the company. I have to, you know, I'll, I'll spend. Uh, I was a one man band for a long time, deploying capital on my, on my own on angel investing, and that's why I started. And I spend tons and tons and tons of time getting to know what makes this entrepreneur tick. Yeah. And uh, you get a real good sense. I, got, I now have a really good sense of, I feel, of being able to judge, um, you know, can you put any idea in this person's hand and make it run? That's like, that's the kind of the base yeah. uh, that I go off of. And that person has to fit that bill. I don't care how, how talented you are. Are you a person that's going to make this work no matter what? All the chips down, you can make it work. So I get to really, really spend a ton of time yeah. with, with the actual founder himself. Yeah, it sounds like you look for the same fuel that you use to burn your drive. Which is running through walls to to see something through someone that you trust. Do you yeah. believe? Do you do you look at experience of a founder? Or are you okay investing in first time founders? I will invest if you don't have any experience at all. And I I and 
I'm equal opportunity employer. If you show these traits yeah. uh, over and over and over again, and obviously there's various extremes of this, but if you can show that, I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're MIT undergrad. I don't care if you're at Harvard. It doesn't matter wh- wh- what walk of life you can come to, but it's it's a really, really high hurdle um, that I don't necessarily uh, yeah. w- talk uh, outwardly with with the actual with the entrepreneur themselves, him or herself. Yeah. And the but the ability to that that my filter is exactly uh, built exactly what I laid out. Yeah. Is is everything I'm constantly filtering for this. I'm looking for I don't know if I'd call it weakness, but if you're not going to fit that criteria, of, yeah. Is there a chink in the armor around being able to fulfill that? Well, your exposure. Yeah, your exposure is really diverse. So you've been involved in real estate deals. Um, I, I would put on par with, in terms of the volatility of getting involved in, in like restaurants or fast casual is, is launching a t-shirt company. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which you did as well. Yeah. Uh, what was that experience like? Because that's more of an operating role for you. Yeah. I mean, yeah, in the end, you know, I, I think all of our lives uh, uh, are kind of, you look back, it's a body of work and yeah. it's a learning process and it's, it's all about what you pull away. And, uh, you know, I've always been really curious as well. And I, I really saw um, the platform while I was a player to really feed that curiosity. And it became very, very liberating and not being afraid to question and, le- and learn and kick the tires. It's a very similar way, actually, that that you've, you've done with your career, where you've not defined yourself only as a cross, but being able to, to build uh, above and beyond uh, around that. Right. Um, while you were still playing. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. So, so Thunderly. Yeah, so Th- Thunderly was uh, my my brother's uh, my brother's an artist. One of my my oldest brothers an artist. So I wanted to definitely. I've always had an attraction towards the um, the consumer market, and I always done it. So this was my first dive into it, and I loved it. I think it was a it's a very uh, simple business model where uh, a lot of uh, sweat can get you a long way if you if you're smart about it, and you start to learn about. Not only the the actual supply chain, but all the way to uh, the distribution, the marketing, everything else. It was a great uh, learning experience for me, and still, yeah. you know, still uh, kicking and breathing after all these years. Although yeah. my focus has changed, so you know, to be able to bro- more broadly scope uh, other areas. But yeah, I mean, right. in the end, that was my first foray. You know, I had a, a be good at a Thunderly, and then now I've really, really honed in on expertise in tech and biotech right. to really, really. Uh, dial in things I know a lot about and are able to um, bring value to as well. Yeah, I love hearing about the areas of which we cut our teeth, though. Mm-hmm. And, and those are sometimes where we learn the most in, in those moments where we started. I'm curious, though, because that, that area interests me. Is is developing a high-end T-shirt line, does it come down to, after all the supply chains and, and creating a um, a, a model that you feel comfortable with and recouping costs and investments sunk into it. Is it just about getting a strong influencer to wear it? That's a really good question. Um, and the reason I say that is I used to see Ryan Seacrest wear these designer tees I've never heard of, and then I would see sales take off the following day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When he was I, consumer, I mean, consumer is a lot of that. It's very influential on in, in how you do that. Um, Those ridiculously competitive, competitive categories. Yeah, ridiculously competitive uh, marketplace, but the, yeah, there's no doubt about it. I think uh, the true winners in the consumer space, you know, not even kind of a high-end t-shirt line, but you know, really have a lot of substance behind, yeah. and messaging behind 
just being, you know, just getting someone to wear something. Like mission-based products are it, killing it right now. Exactly. And, you know, just having a, um, a strong, uh, like you said, a strong message around that along with a strong team of people as well as you know, a messaging that's constant as well. How did, you, how did you balance your calendar as a player doing two things? Um, or did you just kind of say, like, I, I really, I, I, I took my, during the season, I was completely off limits around everything I did. I was completely just dead focused in the rest of the world did not exist besides my, my family, my yeah. kids, uh, the rest of the world did not exist. And but that's football because NFL you're in from like 7am to 7pm. What was your yeah what was day like in Seattle? Yeah. So I was always, I was, yeah, I, I kept that rest. I was always the first, first guy in, last guy out every single, every single day. I would dro- right. used to drive Damn my, right. my, my, my I worked everyone, yes. my man. And, um, yeah, so I would get there, I'd get there crazier. I'd get there, you know, five, five thirty. um, get in, uh, start to prep for my day. I you know, always start and end with mental prep. So I put in a lot of film work, uh, regardless of what I was doing. I was always, you know, I was eight years as a grinder, but you never know. I, I ended up being a guy that could be, you know, as a linebacker, I could be put in any of the three linebacker positions. So I always kind of had to be way ahead of the game where if a coach called on me, I had to be uh, you know, a reliable, reliable piece uh, in the puzzle for them where they knew they could. And then quite honestly, that's probably why it lasted uh, eight years as well. But, you know, first guy in, you know, getting there at 5, 5.30, last guy out, getting out there, you know, 8.30, 9 o'clock. Yeah. Um, even, even with some of that, you'll probably <laughs> could have tightened it yeah. up a little more yeah. and, and uh, being able to do that, but you know, so dedicated to just the sport, but, but also enjoying the process. That was the, the one thing also where I think a lot of people don't enjoy the process. I, I loved film study. I loved the, uh, I loved the weight room. I loved the practices. I loved, yeah. I love every single aspect about it. I never let that feeling uh run away uh from me where you know being that nine-year-old kid with uh, butterflies in the stomach yeah. just trying to see if if i could make it so what about what about now calendar how do you how do you manage your time it's time management yeah. it seems like there's there are so many solutions but everyone's kind of scattered still yeah. Um, well, I, I want to uh, on the last piece. I, so I would do a lot of my my extracurriculars in the off season. I would completely yep. you know, be yeah. able to dive in that with, with so a little let's more start free time there. Then do that. Yeah. So you know, so being completely dedicated during the season as a player, and then as the uh, as the off season ensued, that was my my way to really really help um, build and feed that curiosity outside of the game. Because yeah. in the end, you know, there's just so many players out there. Uh, Men and women that are so much more than the as the sports defines or is defined in, inwardly. And the uh, the other aspect that is you know going through the transition, how you divide up that day, um, it's it's very similar in, in a lot of ways. And uh, yeah, I, I think even more so, it's it's an extreme just because you can you know the you don't rely on your body every single day, and it's it's really amazing how you can. Uh, just push mentally to uh, squeeze so much out of the day. And especially, I mean, technology has played such a huge role on yeah. it. Being able to cover, cover massive amount of productivity. Right. If you uh, uh, if you are willing to be able to take that on and to learn skill on being able to um, deal with multiple uh, – uh, yeah, data streams coming in, yep. uh, whether it be phone, text, everything, being able to cover more ground and cover more information in the end. Uh, it's all at your fingertips now, and it's all up to you to be able to do it. So yeah. it's, it's almost inundating. It's, it's uh, dangerous, but it's an amazing opportunity now. But 
What's at your fingertips right now? What's on the home screen of your phone? That's one of the best ways to find out what's on the home how screen? that how that person ticks. <laughs> here you go. What is there? It's my two kids. There you go. What about the apps? Oh yeah, you got the app. What do you hey, have? Pretty basic. What do you mean? You have you have your favorite social platforms: so Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter. You have Slack. You have Fitbit. So your wearables. You have your music. You have access to Uber. Oh man, this is this is exactly what I was looking for. <laughs> you have your Merrill Lynch app. Oh yeah, it's your bank. It's a yeah, it's, it's a finance. There you go. Is Merrill it the same? Is it the same guy? The second guy, or did you let go of that? That's that the third guy. Yeah, third guy. Third guy. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this, this is my keeper. What's your platform of choice on social? Uh, I, I I will say I'm not a huge uh, social guy, but uh, I actually enjoy. I enjoy uh, Instagram. Yeah. Uh, it's an integral I, part of, of the sales or marketing strategy of some of your portfolio companies, though. I, I agree. I just – it's more of uh, – I feel like I'm so inefficient when I'm on social media where I could be very true. doing uh, so much more what I would call meaningful, impactful things. Yeah. But I think it's more of an, uh, a lack of efficiency – uh, being able to think through quick ways to post everything else, so I think it's a it's a push pull. That's not a cut on social media. Yeah. It's more of a I don't want my time sucked away from yeah. from something else. Well, you, did, you you don't have much time to to Hoover away from you. So especially, and I, I want to dig in a little bit to MC10. You were head of business development there, a company that's that's raised north of sixty million dollars, mm-hmm. eighty one employees now. Yeah, um, that's the big leagues. Yeah, yeah, I was I was able to join MC10 straight out of business school and uh, went through a pretty amazing process uh, to to find them. But you know, there was very much an idea when I joined. Was one of the first people to join, and, and they're a wearable tech company. And we, yeah, MC10's a, a thin, flexible wearable electronics uh, company. It's actually a, a platform technology, but tons of uh, tons of use cases of gathering physiological data off the body. And they've got a lot of the foundational IP in the space on making electronics thin and stretchable. And was is a very abstract idea in a lot of ways. And they're a, a little bit ahead of their time, and they, they were. But you know, really think about um, the ability to accurately capture data off your body as an extension of – you know, an athlete, an elite athlete, or, you know, someone trying to, an elderly woman at home, or someone's trying to quantify the disease state, the data off your body tells a story and actually yeah. capturing it. That that was their focus. And it, was, it had me hook, line, and sinker uh, coming out of Harvard Business School, knowing I, I'm able to match my love for physiology, medicine, as well as this idea of performance and everything else as a way to be able to maximize uh, my interest in as well. But it's an amazing company. Um, you know, left uh, recently yeah. uh, to to found the Sports Innovation Lab, but it was an amazing six years at MC10. They are uh, doing um, amazingly well and uh, starting to forge into a lot of the different use cases we've talked about, but with a massive healthcare focus. Right. Uh, the ability to use that that technology for a lot of different things, but the size of the prize in healthcare is so big uh, yeah. for a technology like that that they are completely differentiated from the market. Yeah. Um, so they're not they're not as much in the sports fa- space like the whoops, like the Fitbits, like you know. The- so so they absolutely could be, and they are not just because that market size pales in comparison to you talking about what's that, what type billion, of market size? You're talking about ten to twenty billion dollar market size versus a trillion dollar market size in healthcare. Uh, in healthcare, it's yeah. it's not even. 
and you're talking about uh, the ability to put electronics anywhere on the body or sometimes multiple data points. MC10s solve that puzzle. Yeah. And, you know, working with uh, over half of the top pharma companies in the world already around, you know, you look at quantifying disease states and looking at new ways to quantify human physiology. Yeah. They're blazing an entirely new path that just is not possible from one spot on your wrist. And yeah. therein lies where the world's mindset is going to change over time. Yeah. And it's not only MC10 leading the, the, leading the charge, but the ability to really, really capture unique data sets to achieve what you never even thought was possible. So, so unique data sets is, is more than what we're typically used to hearing, which is like heart rate, heart rate um, body temperature, yep. hydration levels. I yep. mean, talk about how intricate it gets. Yeah, so it's not even it's so it's you you get to a point where it's 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 not even so much the sensor itself because there's a variety of different sense, sensors and sensing capability and some of those even untapped to this point, but it's also the accuracy level of hmm. those. And that's the dirty little secret right now in the in the space which is heart rate information. It's not off. all data is made the same. It's off. And, and yeah, it is. I mean, I'm wearing two wearables simultaneously and I'm getting like different heart rate reads yeah. by like 10 or 12 bips. Exactly. So, so you understand, um, and it just makes sense, and it's already been proven in a ton of different studies, you know, gathering information such as heart rate from the wrist is, is just, it's just not that accurate. And yeah. um, that's where, where those, you have data sets, but you want those data sets to be as close to a benchmark in the lab and in that control setting as much as you possibly can. And, and, and right now, uh, there's no apples to apples comparison from say if you go to a doctor's office to externally it's just because it's it's not the same type of measure right in the end if you can accurately start to capture outside of that controlled setting and look in the controlled setting and start to have real comparisons of capturing accurate data outside of that that's the that's where the world's going and that's yeah. where you start to take advantage of multiple accurate data sets that then lead to deep insight. So yeah. if I'm wearing multiple, if I'm wearing, if I'm gathering data on my upper extremity, lower extremity, um, and being able to really show metrics that uh, are, are focused around gait and other aspects of my lower extremity that I want to look at, is you start to see how the, the data streams get really, really, really complex quickly. That's when you start to leverage the software ability and the deep capabilities being developed in other industries, the AI, the machine learning, yeah. the deep learning. The more data sets you get that are accurate is absolutely like it's gonna be like rocket fuel for the quantified self. How are you accumulating all of the in intelligence you have in this space? It's it's obvious that like you're a wealth of knowledge when it comes to obviously it was a passion of yours to always be in like the health and mm -hmm. wellness space. Um, but but through what mediums are you aggregating a lot of this knowledge? Were you just like constantly gleaning off of your network? And... Yeah, so I mean, I think that's that kind of leads why I really started this, the Sports Innovation Lab with co-founders Josh Walker and Angela. Um, it was constantly seeing this massive amount of information that was not consolidated in a lot of companies that was was not consolidated across the the globe. Um, I'm I'm constantly consuming information from you know. All different types of. When you say you it's know, not magazine. consolidated across the globe, what do you mean? There's just like great companies everywhere with like it, no exactly. extended reach or no business plan, or like they're just not going to make it into the market. Yeah, so it's 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 just ridiculously fragmented. So there's a lot mm -hmm. of different players in a lot of different spaces. If you define sports technology, even you know broader, the broadest sense where you, you have all the wearables there. So there's 
there's all those vendors in the space yeah. are ridiculously fragmented. No one's actually went out and organized all of them. Uh, and, you know, looked at all the hardware players in the space, all the software players in the space. Um, when we, we started this, uh, we started at 400 companies. We're at over 1,500 companies that we vetted in the sports technology space globally. And starting to organize, we've, we've, we've organized them in over 30 different sectors. Uh, and they've clustered across four major trends. Quantified athlete is one of them. And yep. um, no one had done that before. It's, it seems like that someone should have, but no one has done it. So the ability to really, really bring a ton of organization to the thought process around not only capturing data, but capturing data in a, in a, in a large way. And we're, we're tracking um, just a space that's really at, at, at its infancy in a lot of ways. Um, and we're, we're, we're also tracking other trends that are at its infancy from e-gaming to um, innovation in sports medicine is ripe for innovation yeah. in, in a major way to fantasy sports. So broadest funnel you can think of, and there's companies popping up everywhere. And, and we've essentially started a process where we put them in a, a software funnel and we're able to tag yeah. um, and then pull data uh, around. But the biggest piece is on the manual side is actually onboarding and um, being able to really, really classify and organize. So you're onboarding through this IP that you have this platform and you have yep. all this data and you have this information around these companies that are yep. valuable to our space that are fragmented in different across different silos. Yep. And then you're offering access to that to clients. Is that where the business yeah. is from a monetary Yeah, I mean, yeah. So the, the actual business itself for the Sports Innovation Lab is you know, we've created this this uh, research platform. Yeah. yeah, we call it a research platform. So, we, you know, as, as a company trying to make several big decisions, build-buy decisions, mm -hmm. partnership decisions, investment decisions, um, you're actually able in the space, you're able to get access to this platform and really help uh, with you on efficiency and confidence around making yeah. decisions. Whereas you know, the one of the big impetuses around starting this is like cons consistently seeing large companies make huge decisions with limited information. And yeah. that's, this is ripe for innovation mm -hmm. and ripe for someone to go in and actually clarify and organize that. Yeah. So you have access to, there's a subscription model of access to that information. Um, so you'd be able to do that and knock yourself out. And then the ability to then on top of that, uh, clarify and organize uh, thought around specific strategy and connecting the dots yeah. in the space, as well as, you know, in the end, what we call the lab piece is we're actually going through and, and kicking the tires on specific technology sectors. Yeah. Uh, who are the players in the space and what are they actually doing? Yeah. Uh, if you look at their strength of technology and the, as they integrate into um as they, as they integrate into, you know, market penetration and sports, we're, we're looking at how that objective report card, that product positioning hmm. looks. So being able to make decisions on existing technology in one space, seeing how they're stratified yeah. and how they, they actually grade out on the strength of the tech and their, their penetration. It's, it's obviously very complex, but it's, yeah. it's an area, it's a gap that you've identified that you're servicing right now. Exactly. And it's interesting to go 360 back to – nine-year-old Isaiah mm. and the simplicity around, I'm just going to be the hardest worker in the room through your career as an athlete, your NFL experience, now the complexity around what you're doing as an entrepreneur and investor. How would you describe, and I'm going to challenge you in, in fewer than 10 words, who <laughs> you are now? <laughs> um, I've learned the lesson that working hard and aligning that with passion is an unbelievably powerful tool. Yeah. And that's, that's why I would tell my nine-year-old self mm -hmm. uh, as well as, as growing up. That's one of the biggest things 
I've I've learned in. Um, oh, go ahead. Do you think that there is um, a sense of realism that people have to have, though, if their passion isn't in a category where there's a surplus in economic opportunity, right? I I, I, be, I 100% am with you. Follow your passion. I've been fortunate to, to have been able to carve out a space in, in my sport, which I love and care about, and have built platforms over it, um, and similar to you. And then there's others that maybe aren't pursuing their passion because of the economic uncertainties and raising a family. And so what's the, what's the salve there? Is it just like, you know, explore your passion then as a hobby? Uh, life balance. No, nah, no, these are not easy questions either. Yeah, I think in the end, like the golden rule around that we'll is just do choose, it. choose wisely. Yeah, and uh, you know this this life is full of decisions and being able to make it and uh, you know making those hard decisions around you know is it time to to uh, do what you're passionate about and is that is that real and being you know part of that's just looking in the mirror is this is this is there a market or is an opportunity i'm filling or am i just am i kidding myself right? yeah and that part of that's just being a, a good uh, decision maker and a good businessman or woman around yeah. that so that's a very very difficult question uh the fact is, is what should be the, the the ground truth is if this is a good idea and you're filling a need and you're passionate about it go Regardless of what's going on, go. I mean, because yeah. if you build it, people are going to come. If the, the most experienced and the, the best and people care about it, they're going to yeah, come. Yeah, exactly. If, if if it's so clear to you that this is such, uh, and, it, and it's so clear to you, and it's hard for people to even understand how clear the vision is. Yeah. But you see it so clear that those are the best entrepreneurs. Yep. Those are the ones that are like you get it, and you you drop everything and go. If you're sort of on the line and you know that's becomes a very very difficult decision so yeah. to each his own and and obviously the different uh timetables in life whether family not family everything else yeah uh, it really affects your risk appetite well i will i will i will wrap our conversation with some easy questions but i <laughs> want to first say thanks because your story is inspiring and your network is huge and the influence that you're having over athletes to explore, you know, um, a modern career or giving them a springboard outside of, uh, the football field or basketball court or wherever they are has been, um, really inspiring for me. So I would say the same thing to you, man. Thanks. <laughs> Hardest working man in show business. <laughs> so here we go. A highlight reel. Do your best to simplify the answers iOS or Android? iOS. How many hours of sleep do you try to get a night? Shoot for nine, never get it. Favorite meal of the day? I love mashed potatoes. So dinner or lunch? Oh, yeah, sorry. It's okay. It's all, <laughs> I, I, I want, want to leave that. that. Yeah, it's always interesting the way someone uh, answers Breakfast, that. actually. Breakfast. Yeah, yeah, You know, I used to throw mashed potatoes in my breakfast. <laughs> I've actually never had them. But if we're talking about <laughs> the time, I actually do love breakfast. <laughs> do you prefer to read or listen? Listen. Hydrate or caffeinate? <laughs> Both. Yeah. <laughs> Block or tackle? Tackle. One thing that you can't go without? My family. Cool, man. Well, until next time, really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy day. Thanks, brother. I appreciate it. I'd make time for you anytime, man. Yeah, man. No, I appreciate it. All right. Thanks, dude. 
you enjoyed my conversation with Isaiah, be sure to let us know. There are two big takeaways for me. Number one, he said work hard and align that work ethic with your passion. It's an unbelievable thing. And number two, sports can prove to not only be a great motivator to achievement, but a great teacher. Now, continue the conversation with me on social media. That's at Paul Rabel on Twitter. Be the first to listen to future episodes as well as catch up on previous episodes, including my one-on-one conversation with New England Patriots head coach, Bill Belichick. Coach, good luck this season. Team USA women's soccer captain, Julie Foudy. NFL quarterback, Drew Brees. Drew, good luck this season. And NBA star, Jeremy Lin. You can find all these episodes and more on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your pods. Also, be sure to share them with your friends. Shortcut to our show notes, athlete lists, news, and headlines, visit suitinguppodcast.com. And shout out to our show's sponsors today, Barbasol, Bombfell, and Skillshare. Be sure to support them the way you've so graciously supported this show. And I'll talk to you next week.